All right. Well, go ahead and grab a seat. It is a wonderful thing to be with you today. My name is Mike. I am one of the pastors on the Overlake team. It is a beautiful day outside. Absolutely gorgeous. We thank Jesus for this kind of glory. Here we are in April, and uh, we're choosing to celebrate uh, his love and his goodness by being together today and worshiping him. And it's really just an honor to be with you on the journey. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout, and you will see we're continuing our series called Blessing My City. And today, the title of the message is Caring for my parish, which just begs the question right off the top, what is parish? It is not a body type, okay? Uh, Parish is actually a word that comes into our English language in the 13th century. So when I say 13th century, uh, immediately some of you go to like this picture of a medieval village, you know, you're thinking of something like that. Uh, Little do you know, that's actually Duval about 10 years ago. But you know, the, the, the Middle Ages, right? You're thinking, oh, the Middle Ages, you may be picturing just like a little, a little village and maybe a little uh, a stone church. Everything's got a thatched roof. You're kind of thinking Monty Python, somebody carting, you know, dead bodies through the streets, bring out your dead, uh, that kind of a deal. I just want you to understand that it is, it's an incredible word, this word perish, comes from two Greek words. And they both have significant meanings. So if you're filling in the blanks, the the first definition, parochia, means sojourning, journeying together. Okay, that's the first part of this word parish, is that there's a togetherness in the journey, in, in the recognition that we're traveling together. The second part of the word, uh, paroikos, means dwelling beside dwelling next to. There's a rootedness, but in both concepts, there's a togetherness. And the Bible reminds us that these things are true of us. The the, the Bible reminds us that we are the sojourners dwelling beside others. For example, Leviticus 25, 23, God says, you are strangers and sojourners with me. We're, We're journeying through this life with God. This is not our permanent home, but, but we are traveling together through it. And then in 1 Peter 2.11, we're also called sojourners in that verse. And yet we are placed where we are placed for a reason. The very next verse, 1 Peter 2.12 says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. So what God says is real simple. He says both of these things are true. That we are sojourners going through this world. We're we're traveling with God. And yet we are also planted. We are dwelling beside people whom God loves dearly. And there's an intentionality in God's economy. There, there, There is nothing that accidental. You're not where you are in your neighborhood or in your apartment complex or in your condo area. Like That's not an accident. You you might have thought that it was an accident. It might not even be the place that you really want to be right now, but God has a plan for you. Now, for those of you who maybe grew up in the English church tradition or, uh, or maybe the Catholic church traditions, the word parish is not an uncommon word. 
And, and, and what it means in those contexts really is a territory. It actually is a geographical description, if you will. And so within a parish, within this uh, a region or a zone, geographically, there would be a church and there would be a parish priest or a pastor. And what's interesting about that concept is that the people whom the priest is responsible for are not only the people who come to that person's church. It's not just the congregation. It's everybody who lives in that geography. Does that make sense? Much more like we would maybe think about a chaplain today, a chaplain for Woodenville or a chaplain for Redmond. It's that everybody who lives in Woodenville or everybody who lives in Redmond, they are a part of whom I care for. Now, the challenge is that we would get our minds to be like that. That we would recognize that God is actually placed us inside of a parish, inside of this geography, and that the people who live inside that same geography that we live in, that they are our people and we're called to care for them. Now, this is crazy. This is a, it's a challenge. But I want you to understand that just like there was a parish priest or a parish pastor, this is the mentality I want us at Overlake to get ourselves into. In other words, congratulations, you are now priested in your parish. You are now the, the person. Because that place, that zone, that parish, that's not an accident. God wants you there for a reason. What that means is the people that are in your classroom with you, the people that are in your workplace with you, the people that, that live in the same zip code that you live in, the people that live in your neighborhood, they are all a part of your parish. And the challenge is that we would begin to care for our parish. Now, it does beg a question, well, what is this building? What is this thing called Overlake Christian Church that, that is located at this address in Redmond? What does what this building represent? And I don't know what you think of when you think of this building. Some of you think of Costco, uh, mainly because that's what it looks like. Uh, for those of you who have kids, maybe you think of it more like Disneyland. Uh, for some of you, you think of it more like an ark that's just filled with animals. Uh, I don't know. That's dumb. Uh, some of you think it looks like the ship from Battlestar Galactica, and I think we use the same architect. What, uh, what I want you to understand is that this place, Overlake, on Sundays, this is a place where all of our parishes come together. Right, this is a gathering place for our parishes and for all of our parish pastors so that we can, what? So that we can worship God together in a corporate setting. So that we can be encouraged and inspired in our individual faith journey. And so that we can be challenged, filled up, and then go out and live the life that God wants us to in our parish the whole rest of the week. Does that make sense? So it's very, very important. What happens inside these walls this is a beautiful thing on Sundays. We want to make sure we, we elevate that to its proper status, that this is, it's supposed to be for a specific purpose, to fill us up so that we can then be sent out into our parish and accomplish what it is in our parish that God wants us to accomplish. Now, if we can get our minds around this overlay, it will transform our entire city. 
It'll transform our whole Seattle region. And I just want to give you a, a quick glimpse. I want you to see this visually. The first, here is our church building. This is a map of the east side. Here's where our church exists. The next picture, these are the location of our life groups along the east side. So you can see where our life groups are located on the east side and in Seattle. And then here are the locations of our families who call Overlake their church home. Not visitors, not guests, but these are our families. And I want you to understand, just take that one map further. Could you imagine if every one of those locations begin to intentionally shepherd and pastor and care for our parish? Can you imagine how transformative that would be for the kingdom, right? If, if all we sought out to do was communicate the outlandish love of Jesus to everyone in our parish, you could imagine. It's not a stretch to imagine that it would transform our region. But it begins with a few things. So the first thing, if you're filling in the blanks, the first truth you need to understand is your neighborhood matters. Your neighborhood matters. The, the place around which your house or your uh, condo or your apartment is, that neighborhood of human beings, that neighborhood matters. It matters to God greatly. And I want to begin by looking at the person of Jesus we often, we start always by going to the person of Jesus. So let's take a look at Jesus. This is in John chapter one, and it's talking about Jesus making the decision to come to earth. God making the decision to take on flesh and to come be with us. And it says this in the message paraphrase, the word became flesh and blood. It's talking about Jesus. And look at this, and moved into the neighborhood. Underline that phrase. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. These are titles and these are descriptors of the person of Jesus, but the line I want you to focus on is moved into the neighborhood. Here's a question. If the neighborhood didn't matter, why did Jesus move in? He didn't do anything without intention or purpose. No, no, the, the neighborhood matters greatly to God. That's why Jesus came. And, and the theological word for this verse, for this concept of, of God becoming flesh and blood in the person of Jesus, it's the word incarnation. And you might want to write that uh, on the side of your notes somewhere. Incarnation. It's a really, really big theological word. But here's what it means. It means coming close. It means being one of. It means identifying with. And all of that is for the purpose of communicating God's love. Now I want you to think about something that happens all the time in our world today. Think about what happens when a missionary is, is getting ready to go to a place Often what happens is a missionary couple or, or a missionary, well, well, they'll be on the journey with Jesus and they'll begin to feel that God is stirring their heart for a specific people group. And it might be a group, it might be a tribe, it might be a country on the whole other side of the planet 
But this missionary, in their passion to make sure that others know about God's love, they will feel that God is stirring them for that place. So what do they do? Well, they might not know the language. So they begin to learn the language that, are, that are, the people speak there. They might not know the customs of that country. So they begin to study. What are the customs of that country? What are the things that they do? What are the things that I do that they might find offensive? What are the things that I could do to more easily foster friendship and relationship when I get there? And, and the missionary will spend many months in preparation, learning the language and learning the culture, learning about the people, so that when they are finally ready, they can move into the neighborhood. Are you following me? They can move into the neighborhood and begin to develop friendship and community there for the purpose of communicating God's love. In other words, what Jesus did in the incarnation, the missionary seeks to do today. They, they want to move into the neighborhood for the purpose of communicating God's love. Well, here's the crazy thing. You have a neighborhood right now. God's already done all of that. And for most of us, we already speak the language of our neighbors. For most of us, we already know the cultural customs in our neighborhood. Now, granted, some communities are a little different. Duval, I'd have to do a little study. But like the, the idea is that we sort of know who it is that we're next to. That's not by accident. Your neighborhood matters. And if we could just get our minds into this place, that it needs to matter to us as much as it matters to Jesus, then suddenly we'll begin to care for our parish the way Jesus wants us to. Does this make sense? I can tell by your rousing answer that it does. Absolutely. Okay, so someone asked the great St. Anthony once, what must one do in order to please God? And this was the old saint's response. He says, pay attention to what I tell you. Whoever you may be, always have God before your eyes. Whatever you do, do it according to the testimony of the Holy Scriptures. In whatever place you live, do not easily leave it. Now, this is one of the church fathers. It is a little interesting that when people ask him, how are, you, how are we to live and to be right with God? And he says, number one, do everything with God in your sights, right, for, for him. Second thing, make sure you live according to the Scripture. And the third thing, where you live matters. Where you live, do not easily leave it. That that somehow has spiritual significance. See, I want you guys to track this. The irony is if, if we were to just to sit down one-on-one, -on -one, we start talking to one another, you know, so often what we would say is, what's wrong with my life is it's too busy. It's too fast-paced. I don't have deep enough friendships. I, I, I feel like I, I never have enough time. I can't rest or relax. Like we, we would recognize that there is this malady, but yet here is a challenge for us to be rooted in our neighborhood, to actually foster relationships right around where we live, not rushing across town or rushing across the world, but right now, right here. And we don't see the significance Friends, I want you to understand, this whole thing begins just with a mentality. Your neighborhood matters. My neighborhood matters.
I do want you to understand, God might be calling you someplace in the future, but where I know he's calling you right now is your neighborhood. And I want to give you a picture of this. We, we talked about this graphic before, how there's actually more than eight, but just imagine that there are eight families around your family right now. And the challenge is that we would recognize they matter to God, and they need to matter to me. And so we want to learn their names. We want to know who they are. We want to begin to develop relationship with them. Okay, that's the challenge. It brings us to truth number two. Truth number two is the challenge to develop community in your community. Develop community in your community. And I want to share a little story about how I've seen this happen. By the way, I do want to confess to you that this is one of those messages I don't feel that I'm particularly good at, so I'm not on a soapbox preaching to you. I am definitely sitting with you receiving the challenge of this message. But uh, one of the ways I saw this, this happen, I, I, uh, I used to have a pug. Now, don't, don't judge me. Okay? I, uh, I'm secure in my masculinity, and, and this was... This was a particularly ferocious and muscular pug, so I, I, I just, I mean, it weighed almost, you know, 10 pounds, and I, uh, I, I would walk the pug, you know, daily, uh, kind of put the kids to bed, and then I would take the pug, pug's name, Bilbo, uh, which is obviously a very masculine, manly sort of name, and so I would have a, you know, a, a really small leash that I would walk around, uh, dragging the dog, and, uh, and of course the dog had, you know, a spike collar and all that stuff. So anyway, just I want you to understand. And it, and it was a black pug, but its heart was black. That's what you need to know, just a black-hearted. Anyway, sorry, rest in peace, Bilbo. So, uh, so I was walking my pug. This is when we lived in California. So every night I would walk my pug around the neighborhood, and at the end of my street, one of my neighbors always had his garage up, and he had converted his garage into a man cave. And so every night, he and his buddies were there. Whatever sports were on, that was what's on the, the flat screen mounted on his wall. They were, they were shooting pool, big pool table in, in the garage, uh, maybe drinking a couple beers. And I would often join them uh, for a, a brief conversation. I, I never joined them for a beer. I, I wanted to, but I was working at a church at the time, which made me sign a covenant that said I, I won't touch alcohol, which I honored that covenant because I wanted to work at that church. But I always had a problem with it, just so you know. <laughs> I, I have difficulty signing any covenant that has any rule that tries to make you holier than Jesus was himself. So... That's another topic. <clears throat> so so I, would, I, would, I would come in. They would say, hey, come on in. So I would you know, come in. They would comment on how muscular my dog was and ferocious. And, and, uh, and, and what was interesting is that the, the bros in that man cave, I can only think of a couple of times when they weren't there and I was walk the pug. I mean, it, it was so regular. And they all were buddies in the neighborhood. They just walked over, hung out for an hour, hour and a half, and then headed home. And you know, what was so interesting to me was 
the beautiful picture of community within community that represented. Now, I I say this because I want you to understand, I, I don't believe that many of us have that kind of community happening today. It just requires something that we're not so often willing to invest. So, so my thought is not many of us have that. It doesn't happen organically. It has to happen, or it doesn't happen automatically. It has to happen intentionally. But I want you to, to understand this. There's an even deeper level of sadness in my heart because I don't know if many of us can even think about friends that we'd want to see every day. Like, it's not even that it doesn't exist. It's like the friends that we do have in our lives, for whatever reason, we're, we don't even want to invest in our friendships that they would go that deep or that we would have that kind of life on life or every day touch base and share a few laughs together and figure out how things are going with one another. And like that... Like, that's kind of beyond even where we think or imagine. But I want you to understand it as a challenge. I think that is a beautiful picture of something that we can seek to pursue and to invest in. See, the scripture says this. This is Galatians 6, verses 1 through 3. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, what's happening in in that? Well, he says it in the next line. Share each other's burdens. That's what he's talking about. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Look at this. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. All right? Now, I want you to understand that this is the call, right? This is how we obey what it looks like to walk in the way of Jesus is if we share one another's burdens. And if we're willing to engage relationally and we're willing to develop community, then there are times when that becomes a little messy, that that might even become a little annoying or it it might disrupt the the, sort of the smooth agenda that I've got for my life. And when that happens, we want to pull back, withdraw, isolate. And I want you to understand that when that happens, we need to read verse three, which says, look, if you think you're too important for this stuff, you're fooling yourself. None of us are that important, right? We, we are for one another to share one another's burdens, to walk in this road together. And I understand that there are some, some thoughts that we have that are subconscious thoughts, but they undermine this work of caring for our parish, of investing in our neighborhood. So let me tell you a couple. The first is this unconscious thought that the neighborhood is the boring place I speed through to get to my exciting life. Are you tracking? That that the neighborhood is simply something that I I get in my car, shut the door, I speed through it. I might wave to a neighbor on the way, but, but I speed out on my way to what's really important. Or, same thing at end of day, what am I doing? I'm speeding through it on my way home because I'm trying to leave one world and enter another world. And so this world, this neighborhood world, it doesn't have a high value for me. And so that's subconscious. And we're going to have to intentionally change our thinking about where we live. We have to go back to point one. Our neighborhood matters. 
The second problem, studies show that we don't stay in our neighborhoods long enough to begin to care. The average American, recent statistics say, the average American moves 14 times to 14 different homes. That's big. Now, again, I am not like in judgment or condemnation. I grew up, um, my dad was in the military. So this morning, I just did a quick count. I moved in my life into 27 different homes, double the national average. So I really suck at this, okay? But I, I, I want you to know, in fact, there was, there was one house we moved into three different times. Yeah, I know, it's super confusing. It's why I grew up and owned a pug. I, I mean, there's all kinds of things that just don't make any sense. So I just want you now, but here, here's the interesting thing. When, when my wife Jody and I, when our family moved up here from California in 2004, we bought a home and we're still in that home. It's 11 years. The home that I am in now, I have been in five times longer than any other house in my life. So the first, this is all new for me. So I just want you to understand, though, that it requires some of this mental shift. It requires this thought that, you know what, just to move across town, just to move to a, a better neighborhood, these things aren't going to increase like my level of joy. They're not going to increase, you say, I can't always be looking for the next season. The season I'm in right now, God wants me to invest in these relationships. That the neighborhood I'm in right now, God wants me to invest and develop and create community within this community. And if we're all traveling at the speed of light, then we will never catch this value. And we'll never see the good work that God has for us right outside our front door. You know, what I want to do is I want you to hear from a couple who is really doing this well. Uh, would you please welcome the butlers as they come? This is Barb and Rich. Come on up, you guys. Absolutely. Well, go ahead and grab a seat. And as we get seated, I, I just was wondering, would you mind sharing just a little bit of your story? What is it that sort of got going in your hearts? And how did you end up becoming passionate about your parish? Uh, well, Rich and I um, are empty nesters. And so we, we sort of are in our second act, I think. I guess. And we um, had done the ministry thing. We'd worked at camps. We'd done all sorts of things. And I, I think I felt sort of like, oh, what is our next step? What's going to, is God done? Is this over? Is the party over? And um, we joined a life group and we talked about uh, a book being church and talked about how there's an idea instead of bringing your friends to church, actually bringing the church into your neighborhood. Right. And that was super exciting. Josh talked about having a hope, and I think that really stirred in me a hope that, okay, my life, it's, you know, we're not done yet. There's a lot more that God wants to be doing. Yep. So that was really exciting. And those books uh, were probably the immediate reason, but for me, Mike, it goes back further. Uh, when I grew up in the Catholic Church, so what you said about parish really resonated with me. There was a family in our church called the Mascaris, beautiful family, and they had a sign on their door that said, the Mascari family belongs to you. Wow. 
And I was in high school at that time, and I could go over and talk to Bernice or Frank uh, probably more easily than I could my own parents. Sure. Yeah. Uh, another incident was uh, I went to camp and heard Ben Patterson share, and uh, Ben shared about how Americans sometimes they care more about how their yard looks than whether or not they know the neighbors on either side. Yeah. So I went home and told my dad, hey, uh, I shouldn't be weeding as much. I need That's to right. be over at the neighbor's it's house. It's a waste of my time. Yeah, no, I get it. That's a good high school statement to your dad. <laughs> that, that's wonderful. Well, I know that developing community is a value for both of you. I just want to ask, can you share with us, how do you do that? How, what are some of the things that you guys have done to develop community in your community? I think that probably the first thing is to be in the front yard. You know, it's so mm -hmm. interesting how our houses are designed for backyards. And we try and be out front and try and walk around the neighborhood as much as we can. Uh, we live in Kingsgate, which is an older neighborhood. And I've gotten to know some wonderful, amazing people. You know, Joe's in her 90s. Uh, Bob's in his 80s. Uh, and so just walking and talking. Another one is to build communal areas. Barbara and I are taking a plot of land and turning it into a community garden. And it's amazing how people will want to stop and talk to you. He's including oh, me great. in that very generously. I think I've moved like eight blocks over for the, in, to build the garden. Uh, <laughs> your your turn is coming, don't worry. <laughs> but you know, it's funny, people will stop and talk to you about tomatoes and, and plants. It gives, it gives you a commonality to share with your neighbors. Uh, and then the block party. Yeah, one thing that we did was um, we organized a block party last summer, and it was really uh, awesome. You Kind of your classic um, American thing to do. But we did have a few twists to it. We had neighbors to the right of us who brought a taco truck, and we um, then our neighbors across the street provided a big sheet, and we uh, had a movie night. And it was just really cool That's to fun. involve all of our neighbors in the block party. It wasn't just us hosting. Um, everyone had a piece of it, and I think that was a big part of the success. And I think it's so, um, it, you know, it's, it feels a little scary to invite people into your home, but inviting people out onto your street is pretty non-threatening. In the city of Kirkland, Mike, you can get a permit for 25 bucks to section off the, the street. And uh, next year, we're actually going to do at salsa dancing. Oh, and wow. Pastor Josh is going to teach us all how to salsa dance, right? He's got some moves. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> one other thing. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Witness, and they have that barn raising scene in mm -hmm. there. And just yesterday, the Hernandez and Barbara and I went over to the Cody's house, and we yeah. spent the day helping them get their home ready to have a family move in. Yeah. Um, those are that really built community, right? Working right. alongside others. Well, and that brings me to the, this next question: How is it that you are able to maybe discern some of the needs in the neighborhood and begin to respond to some of those needs? One thing that we did um, was we just created an email list, a group mm -hmm. email list, and so we've, which has actually been a little bit um, had caused a few problems because Rich and I thought we were just talking to each other, and it was out to the whole group. Oh, boy. You know, oh. so it was a little Ooh. awkward. But um, we worked <laughs> through that and figured that one out. <laughs> but that's been a great way to just let people know, hey, these people need help in their yard this weekend or, right. or different things like yeah, that. Yeah, it gets the word out. The other one is uh, prayer walking. Uh, I, you know, really knowing your neighbor starts with prayer. In every neighborhood I've lived in, and you mentioned this for a service too, Mike, 
just walk through the neighborhood and pray for the people in the houses. That's it. Yeah. And then you find that the Lord helps you to be aware of what needs are, which is a key. Yeah. And then simple acts like bringing meals or just putting a, uh, Barbara suggested putting a bowl of water out in the community garden for people who walk their dogs. And uh, getting involved in neighborhood events um, like the Wilsons led in our neighborhood egg hunt. But the real, the real one is when people know who you are, that you're praying for them, that you, you can help. It's when they come to you in the middle of the night. Yeah. And uh, like Pat and Amy Hart had a neighbor come over at midnight who went into labor. Barb and I had a neighbor come over at midnight who was having a crisis in their house. And then you know that yep. you've really begun to be a part of the community. Yeah. Guys, can we thank the butlers for sharing? Thank you so much. God bless you. What a great picture. What a great picture. Of, of what that looks like to develop community within a community. Brings us to our third truth, if you're filling in the blanks. It's a challenge to experience spiritual formation as a community in a community. The idea is that spiritual formation, growth and maturity in, in our spiritual lives, I wish it was just a, a matter of head knowledge, but it's not. Head knowledge is great. We, we value that. We value learning, lifelong learning, actually, at Overlake. But I want you to understand that it's more than just what goes in here. There needs to be a context in which our spiritual lives are worked out. And that happens in community. I want you to take a look at this passage, Acts 2.42 and following. It's a description of the first century church as it was empowered by God's spirit. This is what the very first expression of church looked like. It says this. The community continually committed themselves to learning what the apostles taught them, gathering for fellowship, breaking bread, and praying. Everyone felt a sense of awe because the apostles were doing many signs and wonders among them. There was an intense sense of togetherness among all who believed. They shared all their material possessions in trust. They sold any possessions and goods that did not benefit the community and used the money to help everyone in need. They were unified as they worshiped at the temple day after day. In homes, they broke bread and shared meals with glad and generous hearts. The new disciples praised God, and they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people in the city. Day after day, the Lord added to their number everyone who was experiencing liberation. So you see what was happening, that, that there was a time when the, the first church gathered together corporately, and they worshiped God in the temple context. And that would be analogous to what we're doing on a Sunday morning. But when you look at the passage of Scripture and you see the outworking of the first church, you need to realize that almost all of that was happening in between worship services, right? It, it was all happening in their neighborhoods and in their homes. It was all happening in the context of community. But what was, what was collectively going on? Their spiritual formation, that the community was the context in which they were growing spiritually. Now, we've found uh, that there's this other Christian community, and taking that Acts 2.42 passage, they have worked their own covenant together. They write this, we vow to remain all our life with our local community. 
We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. Look at this. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there's no escape from oneself. And the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arrive, we have great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means leaving or excuse me, learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, and forgiving. That's powerful. See, those are powerful statements. But what is it, what is it really getting at? It's getting at our spiritual formation happens in the context of relationships. See, we really have kind of bought into this illusion that, oh, if I could just move into that setting, if I could have a house with that much square footage, if, if we could just live on that side of town, that there's sort of all this. If that circumstance could happen, then I'd be OK within me. But the challenge of spiritual formation is, no, moving across town doesn't deal with me, because you're going to go with you on that move. We, we've got to take care of what's happening within me, and that only happens in the context of relationship and community. It's there where I realize, oh, I have offensive behaviors. Yeah, I have pet peeves that the other's doing, but I have offensive behaviors that I've got to ask forgiveness for. I've got to learn how to forgive. I've got to learn how to be gracious in the context of relationships. Friends, that's what spiritual formation is all about. And it happens within the context of community, all right? So again, discipleship's not just about information. It's about working it out in the context of relationships. All of this requires the long view. And we've talked about this before at Overlake. We'll talk about it again. I have a quote for you this morning. You might have heard this from Eugene Peterson. It says, the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction. The, the work of committing to a place and a group of people for the long haul, that might not sound very sexy to you. But I want you to understand something. I've read the Bible many times, cover to cover, and I want you to understand that nowhere in this Bible are we called to be sexy. Song of Solomon, maybe, but that's just for your <laughs> spouse. That's totally different context. See, the analogy that I'd want to leave you with is this analogy of planting a tree. By show of hands, how many of you have ever planted a tree? Anybody planted a tree in your life? Yeah, so many of us. So you know that when you plant a tree, you have a certain set of expectations that go with that. And it's a little bit different. If you're planting a flower, your timeline and your expectations are different than if you're planting a tree. At my last house in California, my wife and I planted an avocado tree. And we planted an avocado tree because we love avocado. Or more specifically, we love guacamole, <laughs> which you need an avocado for. And so we planted this avocado tree lovingly in our backyard. Now, I've already confessed this to you. Within 18 months, we moved out of that house. And in the context of those 18 months, after planting a brand new avocado tree, how many avocado do you think we harvested? 
It didn't even have seven leaves on it when we moved, let alone avocados. I mean, you need years for these trees to grow into maturity and to begin to bear fruit. It's just so tragic because recently we were back in the same town and I drove my kids over to the house that we used to live in and you could see this beautiful avocado tree, just fruit everywhere. And it was all I could do not to hop the fence and be like, come on, these are mine. I planted that tree, you know. So I want you to understand that that there is a different view when it comes to planting a tree. And there's a different timeline, and there's a different set of expectations, but that's what I'm trying to get us into when it comes to transforming our our communities, To, to caring for our parishes. It's that long view approach You know, it's interesting, right? When you think about, we took this trip over to Israel a couple years ago, and we went into the garden where Jesus prayed on the night that he was betrayed. And there are olive trees everywhere. And some of those olive trees date back to the time of Christ. I mean, think about that. We're not talking about centuries old. They're millennium old. I want you to understand, if you have that kind of perspective, then suddenly it really does shift everything. It shifts everything about the importance of our work day in and day out. It shifts everything about the importance of investing in this relationship, in this community, in the parish that God has planted me in. Because it matters. It matters to God. It needs to matter to me. Brings me to the last fill-in here, and the challenge is that we discern our mission by discovering the needs in our neighborhood. Discern our mission by discovering the needs in our neighborhood. And I think it begins by us asking three very, very simple questions. The first question, you might want to write these down. The first question is, where is God already at work in my parish? Where is he already doing something beautiful that I can get on board with and I can help go further faster? Where is God already moving in my neighborhood? Let me invest there. The second question, it's almost on the opposite side of the fence. It's where is there a lack of God's peace in my neighborhood? Where is the shalom, that that total peace, that encompassing peace? Peace. Where is, where is God's peace missing in my community? And how can I begin to engage that? And really, the last question is a partnership question. Who in my neighborhood or my parish, who has a similar heart to mine that would be willing to partner? So those are three questions that begin to help us discern our mission and discover the needs of our community. I told you in this series, I want to share with you one ongoing victory. And in this regard, it's the ongoing victory of raising up parish pastors. So this is something that you're going to hear about. It's something that we're currently doing. We've got our first class of parish pastors that are being trained right now at Overlake. The desire that we have is that we want to, when they complete their training, we want to commission them in front of you, Overlake, and we want to release them, send them into their parishes with the idea that they really are the parish pastor, that they're their neighborhood pastor. 
And what that means is when there is a crisis in the neighborhood and, and, and there needs to be somebody who's a first response, they're on the front lines. They're doing that. The second thing it means is if there's a, a need in the neighborhood or the community for, for, say, somebody who's getting married or somebody who's getting buried, we want to fully license them and equip them to be able to be the first point of contact for those kinds of things, those pastoral duties. But the third thing I want to say about this is we really envision a day at Overlake where there are hundreds and hundreds of parish pastors. Remember that map I showed you at the beginning? You could envision if all of us had this mentality and this desire that it would be transformative. So that's our ongoing victory. We're, we're doing it, and we're going to continue to do it. But the second thing I want to share with you is an ongoing challenge. And actually, um, when the butlers were sharing, they mentioned this as well. It all starts with prayer. And so we want to challenge you to pray. We put together these prayer guides. And um, I, I want to encourage you, if you've not yet grabbed one of these prayer guides, you can download this online. It's actually on Overlake's Facebook page this morning. It's on my Facebook page as well. Uh, you can grab this. Uh, there's a few around the, the building as well if you haven't grabbed one yet. But please grab this. And, and pray through it. And what it'll do is, it, first off, it, it'll engage your heart around the things that God's heart's already engaged around. It'll change your walking the dog experience into praying for your neighborhood experience. It'll change the way you drive out of your neighborhood every day and the way that you drive back into your neighborhood every day. And it will allow God to continue to mold your heart in terms of what it is that he's calling you to engage in on behalf of your parish. Okay. So I really want to challenge you to begin by praying. I'm going to close with the words of Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, verse 13 and following. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It's a beautiful, powerful passage. Of course, Jesus, he, he lived that passage to perfection. You know, I grew up, my parents took me to church quite a bit growing up, and so I was in Sunday school, and there was this song I learned in Sunday school, and maybe you learned it too. It was, uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know what I'm talking about? Have you heard this song? Yes. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, and I sang that song thousands and thousands of times. I never knew what they were talking about. Because the song itself doesn't clarify, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. In fact, the only thing I learned about that song is hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. I didn't even know what a bushel was. All I knew is a bushel light, just, that's not a good, maybe, maybe it was a fire hazard. I, I, like, I just didn't know. So the question remains like, how? What does it mean to be salty? What does it mean to be light? How do you shine in a dark world? Friends, what we've been talking about today is the answer to how.
That's how you do it. You invest and you cultivate community and relationship and you care. And if I could be so daring, you begin to get to this place where you actually love your neighbors. Where you actually, you actually love your parish. You actually shine radiating the love that God has for you, you're actually able to shine that love into how you interact with those that you're surrounded by every day, day in and day out. Is this a challenge? Absolutely. Do I feel challenged today? Absolutely. But friends, this is a beautiful thing, and I'm excited to go after it with you. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes, and we'll pray together now. Jesus, we want to start with prayer. We know that we need your help in this reality. We know that we cannot accomplish this on our own strength, that it might be something that we think about for a while, that we might get good at for a week or so, but in order for us to make this a lifestyle we pursue, we need your help. And so Jesus, would you come and would you show us again how much you love us? Show us again how much you care for each and every one of us. Show us again for the ways in which you have lavished your love and grace and blessing out over us. And and help us be mindful of that as we seek then to care for our parish, as we seek to give out and and to give back and to develop relationship and friendship. And and Lord, even now, we, we wanna lift up our neighborhoods to you in prayer. We ask that you pour your blessing out over our friends, our neighbors, those who live around us. And we don't even know their names today. But Jesus, we pray that you would use us to be an impact for your kingdom. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.